Welcome to the Sunday Messages podcast from New Hope Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Our mission is to glorify God by making fully devoted followers of Christ, by belonging together, believing in Christ alone, and blessing our world. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we pray today's message brings you hope and help along the way. Church family, that is where we are going as a church, not only this morning as we open God's word and discover what he's talking about there, but but before we go any further, I just have to just encourage and celebrate our awesome praise band. Let's just encourage Pastor Philip and, and all the hard work. God bless you guys. I mean, these are new songs and songs that we sang as kids, and God is using them and, and getting us ready for heaven. God bless you guys. Well, uh, is, is, is coming out to a big day. And if you don't mind, I need to make one quick public service announcement for the men. So ladies, if you wouldn't mind, just give us a moment. We'll be right back with you. In fact, if there's a man next to you, husband, uh, spouse, uh, son, father, give them a little elbow, make sure they're listening. Guys, here's the deal. Today is February 12th. Let me say it one more time. February 12th, one, two. Behind me are all kinds of red hearts on February 12th. That means two more night nights until the big day. That woman that's cutting you loose for five hours to watch the game tonight, that same woman that's making all kinds of yummy Super Bowl snacks for you and your buddies, February 12th, two more night nights before the big day. Okay, public service announcement is over. Women, you can come back. Uh, guys, you can go back to doing whatever, whatever you do when I talk. So here we go. Now, Valentine's Day, that's a big deal. We talk about love. Churches all around America, I don't know, maybe around the world, talking about love today. We get that. That's important. Obviously, we're going to talk about love. The ladies and the team wouldn't have decorated so beautifully. Hey, little insider tip right after service on your way to Belong Group. We have tons of yummy, yummy snacks, and they're all decorated for the big day for Valentine's Day. So, so love is in the air. Love is everywhere. We're talking about love, but maybe not the way you're thinking. We're not not talking about the, the kind of love between husband and wife and, and parents and their kids and kids and their grandparents. That's good. That's important. We get that, but we've talked about it quite a bit. Today, we're going to talk about a different kind of love, not necessarily for those closest to us, for those who we already love and learning how to love them better. We're going to talk about how to, as we saw in that video, how to love our city. How to love the city of Cape Coral, those outside of the family of God, those that we don't normally come in contact with. And I get it. This is much more complicated. Love is a heavy word. There's all kinds of inner meanings and deeper meanings and hidden meanings behind that word. It really only works in the context of a relationship. How in the world am I supposed to love someone I don't even know? This is complicated, you say. There's no relationship. There's no skin in the game on their part and really not much more on my part. They, they can seem so one-sided in these kind of relationships. And worst of all, there is that fear of rejection. What is this love for the city supposed to look like? Let me give you an example. Some of you may remember a day, a time in your life in a faraway universe where your mommy was making a cake in the kitchen. She ran out of eggs. She says, Johnny, go next door to Miss Mabel and borrow a couple eggs. And you did that all by yourself. 
And you came back with a couple eggs and mommy finished the cakes. Because that's what neighbors were for back in the day. You could borrow things. This week, a, a gentleman who I'd never seen before, older gentleman, came knocking on the door, comes into the church, says, Hey there, I'm your neighbor. I need to borrow a couple tables. I thought that was an unusual request, especially from someone I didn't know, but he was so friendly and nice and cheery. I thought, well, maybe we had met somewhere along the way. We said, well, sure, sir. So we helped him carry a couple of tables out to his truck. He drives off. The next day, he comes back with the same tables, all in good working order, very thankful, very grateful that his neighbor shared these tables with him. Here's the deal. This church building has been here about 20 years. This older gentleman lives on the same street as us. He's been living there for over 30 years. Distance speaking, physically speaking, we've been neighbors for over 20 years. He didn't call us a neighbor, he said, until, remember a few months ago, he said, after Hurricane Ian and you guys set up all those relief efforts outside, I drove by here every day and I saw how you guys were loving on the community. I saw how you guys were sharing with those in need. I saw how you guys were being a neighbor. On that day, something clicked in his brain. Those folks are my neighbor. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Let's talk about this. God gives an incredible story about some folks that were put into a position and God called on them and even commanded them to be a neighbor to a group of folks, to a city they were not very happy about. In fact, they were put there against their will. And God said, now, I put you here for a purpose. I'm calling you to be neighbors in a city that is not very neighborly. And what they did and what we should do, I think, is going to change the future of our lives. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah. If you don't have a Bible, you can check it out on the screen behind me, or if you have your cell phone, you can open up the Bible app, and you can find not only uh, Jeremiah, but also the sermon notes for this morning. We're going to dig into this story and understand what it looks like to love our city well. What does it look like to love Cape Coral well? Y'all find it? Jeremiah 29. We're going to start in verse 4. Let me read just the, the few verses that we're going to jump into today. And then, first of all, we're going to give kind of the backstory. okay? Let me read the whole text, and then we'll jump into the backstory. Jeremiah 29, verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Not a nice place. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. We call them grandchildren. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of that city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because... If it prospers, you too will prosper. All right, what in the world does this look like? And how are we going to understand what these folks were, were called to do thousands of years ago would have any impact on what we are called to do right here in beautiful Cape Coral? Let's understand. Before we go any further, I need to give you the backstory. In any love story, there are ups and downs. If you've been married any length of time, we're coming up on our 35th wedding anniversary. Very excited about that, yeah? Uh, that's what happens when you start at 14. So, um, 
we, uh, so in, every, in any love story, there's ups and downs. It, it, sometimes it's, it's, it's even harder, but it, the, the relationship between Israel and their God, between Ra- Israel and their father in heaven, was also filled with ups and downs. When they had a good king that, that followed the commands of the Lord, that, that read the, the words of the Lord to the people, that, that followed God and sacrificed properly, things were good. If, on the other hand, they had a bad king that was only interested in his own purposes, his own plans, and kind of made alliances with the enemy, even following the idols and the gods of other enemies and other peoples, the, the, the people of God were in a bad place. It was very much a roller coaster ride throughout the entire history of Israel. We know that. We've seen that. Well, in this story with Jeremiah the prophet, remember what prophet means? He is the mouthpiece of God. He speaks the very words of God. God gives him some words. This was a very, very, very low point in that relationship. He says, I want you to go there, and I want you to call them back to me. They have gone off rails. They are so far away from my plan, I'm not even sure I can get them back. I want you to call them to repent. I want you to call them to turn back. And if they don't, I'm going to send them off into exile. And not just exile, there'll be plagues and there'll be death and all kinds of yucky stuff. Go. Well, he goes and he starts. And for about 28 chapters, he's preaching this kind of happy little message. (laughs) But here's the problem. The folks ain't buying it. Almost immediately as he's preaching this very hard message from God for repent, turn back, come back to God. He will bless you. If you don't, you're going off into exile. Kind of this over and over the same message. Imagine coming to, to church every Saturday, every Sunday, and hearing the same message. And it's a message like that. It would be hard to keep coming back. Well, it was no different for them. Almost immediately, at the same time, these, um, these false prophets kind of rise up kind of uh, prosperity gospel prophets kind of rise up. They said, huh, exile, that's so old-fashioned. God doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore. What? 70 years? Don't listen to Jeremiah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, you guys, oh, you made a few mistakes. I'm thinking two years tops. God loves you. God wants the best for you. He doesn't want you to suffer. He doesn't want anyone to be sick. He doesn't want anyone to be poor. God would never do that to you. Surprise, surprise. The people follow these false prophets and their their flowery unicorn and rainbow sermons and follow them right into exile. And now that's where we pick up the story and understand what's going on. Now, I, I know what you're thinking, even though... These guys made some mistakes, and it was a low point in their relationship with God. They should have known better, but, but exile? And exile for 70 years? I mean, Lord, that's, even for you, that's kind of harsh. Are you sure that's really, why did you have to send them or, or, or put them, or like the Bible says, carry them into exile? Wasn't there another way? Let's dig into that word carry for a second. The Bible says right here, this is what the Lord Almighty the God of Israel says to all those I, God, I carried into exile. There it is. He picked them up from where they were happy, from where they were doing their own thing, from where they were comfortable, and he put them in exile. It's kind of like we do with our, with our little bitties with, with timeouts, and we, we put them there. With our older ones, we put them in jail. We put them in prison. We put them out of the house if need be. We, we take and we put. That's what God is doing right now. If you dig into that word, it's kind of an Old Testament, kind of an old Hebrew word. It it, it came to mean carry, but originally when this was written, it did not mean carry at all. In fact, what it meant was this. It meant to, to pull back or to lift off 
or to pull away the covering over, to pull back the covering that was once there. This is what God said. Your, your decisions, uh, the, the trajectory of your life, the, the, the things you've been doing, the, the way you have turned your heart already, the way you have shaken your fist in my face and said, I don't need you, I don't want you, I'm going my own way. God said, okay, be careful, it's coming, listen, stop, turn back. And eventually he said, okay, I will pull back my covering. And when he did, the trajectory had already been set. The decision had already been made. The flow was already going in that direction. So surprise, surprise, they wind up in exile. That is what happens to all of us with the decisions we make. We, we pull towards exile constantly, but for the grace of God and his covering, that is what holds us from the separation from God that is brought by exile. And that happened to these folks. But God is a good God. He never lets any moment pass that could be a teachable moment. He says, okay, if this is a decision you've made and you have chosen to head that way, I have pulled back my covering, my protection, my grace, and you have flowed to the natural destination. Your decisions have led you. Let's use this for my kingdom. Why? Because God needed, God wanted, God created a people thousands of years ago to help him change this world, to help him turn the lost world back to their creator. That same desire of creating a people thousands of years ago here in this story in Jerusalem and in Babylon, that same story is true for you and me today. God is looking for a people that he can mold and make into a people that will help him change Cape Coral and Southwest Florida, the United States, and the entire world. And so he says, in this place where you're going, by your choice, I'm going to have you guys learn some lessons. And we're going to dig into them in just a second, but he gives them three commands. He says, I want you to put down roots, I want you to increase and not decrease, and then I want you to seek the prosperity or the, the shalom of that city. So I'll, one more time, I want you to put down roots, I want you to increase and not decrease, and I want you to seek the shalom or the prosperity of that city. These aren't unusual requests. In fact, if God had commanded these very same three things, even just a few weeks before, while they were still in Jerusalem, most folks would have said, sure, I like it. Good plan, Lord. I'm with it. I'm down. Let's do it. It's all about bringing me prosperity. It's all about doing what you have called me to do. It's all about increasing and bring prosperity to my city. I love it, Lord. I wish you would have come up with this years ago. Let's start now. The problem was... They weren't back home. They weren't where they were comfortable. They weren't where they knew the traditions and the rules and everything would have focused and turned towards them. They were now in exile in, a, in an enemy territory that was very much uh, uh, bent on destroying them. And they said, no, this is not right. So many of us struggle with the same thing today. We think, I just can't, I just can't do the things that God's calling me to do until all the stars align. I just, can't, I just can't follow the commands of the Lord until all the circumstances are just right. I can't, I can't give myself to the Lord and, and make radical change in my life until everything is aligned in my own life. When I get to where I need to be and I've focused and I've concentrated on me, I've loved me sufficiently that I feel strong enough to take care of the things of the Lord, then I will do it. But God's saying even now when we feel like we are in exile, 
So let's dig into these three commands that he gives us and understand how what he commanded them thousands of years ago is really a command for us today. So look at verses 4 and 5. He commands them to put down roots. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those who I've carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He tells them this. Build houses, settle down. Plant gardens and stay long enough to eat what they produce. What is God saying? He's looking for permanence. He's looking for stayability. Build houses, settle down. Plant gardens, eat the produce. This is permanence. This is settling in. This is staying. This is the difference between a homeowner and a renter. Between a, a house renter and a hotel guest. We, we treat our surroundings differently depending on who we are in every situation and what our, what our surroundings look like in every situation. New missionaries struggle with this quite often. I, uh, for many years, we were missionaries in, uh, overseas in Western Europe, and part of my responsibility was helping to train the new missionaries. So we, we wanted to get them into the culture and help them understand not only the language, but also how things work in the country where they were now living. And I could almost always tell who was going to make it, who was going to stay past that first four-year term, and who, who wasn't. The ones who weren't going to make it, they were still very much attached back home in Western Europe. It was still very, very modern, very first-worldy. We had Netflix, you can click into English. We had internet that was fast enough that folks could Skype call their family for hours each day. We had the opportunity to watch not only uh, a message in English, but their home church message and, and Skype into their home church every single weekend. They were, they were living in France, they were living in Germany, they were living in Greece, but their heart was still very much attached to where they had become. Permanence is more than just physical. It is also a state of mind. These folks were only called to be in Babylon for 70 years. Now, I know, for most of us, 70 years is a long time, but in the history of Israel, is a very short time. Uh, missionaries typically stayed in one city, typically only for five years. Military personnel, typically for two years or less. Whatever your situation is, whatever has brought you to our city, forever how long God wants you to be here, God is calling you to put down roots. Make this home your home. This is your home now. This is your neighborhood now. This is your church now. God is calling us not only to put down roots and be permanent, but also to plant gardens and stick around long enough to eat the fruit of those gardens. This, this word garden is the same word we see in Genesis. Genesis, you remember the Garden of Eden? It means a, a walled-off area where, where things were planted with the purpose of eating the produce of that which you plant there, vegetables, fruit. How long do we wait for vegetables? And how long do we wait? You plant a seed, you water it, and you wait. Three months, four months, five months tops before you get your first harvest. How about a tree? Some of you have been here long enough. You planted a, a mango seed and avocado seed, and then you water it, and you wait. And if everything goes well in just seven short years, you have your first ripe mango, your first ripe avocado. There's a, a waiting that is involved. It is a planting and a waiting and expecting to enjoy the fruit of that which you 
have planted. Again, back to missionaries. They, they struggle with this so often. Missionaries that, that live on the mission field in Africa or in, in Asia or even Western Europe like us, they have a different mentality than, for instance, some of us. We're going in, in July on a mission trip to Panama. When we get to Panama, we're going to have seven days tops. That includes travel time and, and the time we're there. And, and we're going to use every minute for the Lord. Every conversation will be gospel-centered. Every ministry activity will be focused on getting people closer to Jesus and helping them start churches and, and Bible studies. Everything we do will be focused on that because we'll only have seven short days to serve in that country. Missionaries like Sean and Shelley Blackson who are going to visit in that country, they live there. Not every conversation is focused on getting someone to church. Every conversation is focused on the next conversation. In fact, in Spain, we talked about it this way. When we were witnessing with someone, I said, hey, pray for Luis. I've been talking to him for weeks now about Jesus. Someone might say, hey, how's it going? How many coffees away from Jesus is Luis? Because they understood that every conversation brought someone even one step, and then one step, and then one step closer to Jesus. This different understanding of planting seeds and waiting for God to bring the results. In a world that is based on instant gratification and, and fast food, uh, get-rich-quick schemes, overnight success stories, it is so difficult to plant and wait it is so difficult to plant a garden and wait until we can enjoy and celebrate the fruit that has grown in that garden. I can think of no better investment than investing in the kingdom of God. Folks, think about our, our kids' zone in the back. What influence could you have on that next generation by pouring into them today? I think about our youth. I, I, I would normally look right here for our youth, but... Pastor Matt has begun a new youth Bible study on Sunday morning, so we'll have to look that way through the wall. What better opportunity to pour into the young people, the youth of our church today? I was one of them because someone poured into me when I was a teenager. God is allowing me to serve others today. What opportunity we have. It was a long time in coming. It was a planting of seed and praying and waiting and praying and waiting, and then God brought the fruit paying down our church debt. It's an incredible amount of money for most of us normal folks, but, but by paying down that debt today, can you imagine what ministry could be done when those funds are freed up later? We keep talking about a, a Northwest campus of our church. By, by investing today the hard work in prayer and inviting and, and Bible studies and all that goes into that, who might we meet in heaven one day because this congregation, this generation of New Hope Church decided it is, it is the best thing to invest in a congregation up there. Folks, you will never meet this side of heaven. You will meet in heaven because you decided to plant a church up there. This is what God is calling us to do, to, to invest and to plant today, waiting to enjoy the fruit that only God can bring. And the next, thirdly, uh, second, uh, God's calling us to increase and not decrease. Now, this is a tough one. I'm not going to lie. If there's ever, ever a time to, to kind of decrease or, or hunker down or close in or put up walls or hide behind your front door, if there's ever a time for that, it's in exile. 
I mean, the enemy is attacking. The enemy is shooting darts. The enemy wants the, the very worst for us. There's, there's nothing we can do against that. The best thing is to put our shields up, hide out, and just pray that this passes as quickly as possible. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? A little bit like the last five years in our country, in America, the pandemic hit, the political turmoil and infighting hit, the economy and the crash of the economy, war, earthquakes, North Korean nukes, and then to top it all off, Hurricane Ian. Now is not the time to go out. Now is the time to hunker down, lick our wounds, hide out, wait till this passes, and then we'll go out. This is not at all what God wants. Now is the time to increase and not decrease. The Bible says here that word to increase, not decrease, it means whatever you start with, when you finish, there should be more. Whatever you started with, because we all start at different places with, with different amounts of time and energy and, and gifting, even, even resources, whatever you start with, at the end of that time, you should have more. But the enemy would scare us back into our holes, saying there is no faith, there is only fear, avoid risk at all costs. That is what the enemy would tell us, but that is not at all what God wants. So often we, in, in the church world today, there's this tendency, even a danger, to become, to become spiritual preppers, to hoard all of the blessings that God has given us and not give a single one away out of fear that one day we won't have enough. That blessing is for me and for my family. If I share that one day in the time of, of not enoughness, I won't have enough blessings left, so it's better I keep it for myself. We believe he who dies with the most toys wins, but that is not true. Folks, please hear me on this one. Don't you dare leave this world with even a single check left in your checking book. God is calling us to give everything away to where it belongs. Dave Ramsey was famous for this. You remember watching those Dave Ramsey videos about how to biblically manage your money? He said it over and over and over again. He said, I tell every dollar where to go. If I want to go on vacation, I tell the dollars to go pay for the, the car or the airplane tickets. If I want to leave an inheritance to my kids, I tell those dollars to go and, and, and build a trust fund for them. If I, want to, if I want to pay off the church's mortgage, I tell those dollars to go that way. I don't leave anything to chance or anything for the next generation. God has entrusted me with those blessings, so I will send them where God is telling me to send them. You remember what Jesus said about the servant who received a, 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 an amount that he was supposed to carefully steward, to invest, to make money for his boss. Out of fear, what did he do? He hid that money in the ground. Zero increase. Zero increase. And Jesus himself said, you fool. It is a sin. It is a sin not to invest your blessings I went on a mission trip one time to the country of Nicaragua, very close to Panama, where we're going this summer. It was a medical mission trip. I am obviously, well, I'm a different kind of doctor, not that kind, so, so I obviously couldn't do anything to help the folks, but it was my job on this trip to chat with the folks who were waiting in line and share the gospel with them as they were waiting for medical attention. It was a fantastic week. The doctors and the nurses and, and the medical professionals were able to help hundreds of people in one week. Incredible. It didn't scratch the surface. Well, these doctors are pretty smart folks. 
They came up with a plan. Hey, next time we go, we're not going to just stay in the clinic in the big city and wait for folks to come. We're going to go out to them. And so they, they had one or two days in the clinic and helped the people there, but then they got in buses and, and, and motorcycles and, and, and bicycles and went out to all the villages they could hit. They were able to double the number of folks they were able to help medically. Didn't even scratch the surface. We've got to do something else, they said. How in the world can we help the real need that is out there beyond our reach? God gave them this idea. They, they, they made contact with every single village, every single grouping of homes, even up in the jungle, and said, if you will send us one young man, one young woman, we will train him or her to be your village medic. And one after another, these villages sent them young people and young guys, young gals. They trained, they poured into them week after week, and they became like village doctors and were able to help incredible numbers of people. This is the deal. They had to identify those who could help and then send them out, empower them to do that. I believe that is exactly what God is calling New Hope to do right now in, in this beautiful city of Cape Coral. 200,000 people live here and growing. I know it's kind of squishy here today, but can you imagine if all 200,000 showed up? It ain't working. God is calling us. This is our missional movement to identify those of you who choose and desire to live missionally in your neighborhood, in your world, in your city, to train you, prepare you, and then to send you out to the jungles of Northwest Cape Coral and southwest Cape Coral, maybe even all the way over to North Fort Myers. We are looking for a thousand spiritual medics to go and bring God's healing to folks who would never darken our doors. And then finally, God is calling us to, to do something unusual. He says in, in English to seek the prosperity of the city, but really his, his original word is to seek the shalom of the city. Let's see what he's saying. Look at verse number seven. Also, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this is an important verse. We want to hunker down and understand exactly what God is saying. To understand what God is saying in this one verse, we need to understand what one word God chooses to mention three times in one verse. Let me read it to you now as if it were in the Hebrew context. Also, seek the shalom of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it shaloms, you too will shalom. Three times in one verse. You think this is important? Your spiritual alarm should be going off saying, yes, Lord, help me understand what does it look like to seek the shalom of a city. Now, we get this. In fact, as Jeremiah was saying this verse in the original Hebrew language, all the folks around would have understood exactly what he was saying. That word shalom was such a part of their culture. It was, in fact, we read it even in the New Testament. Jesus would greet people and, and depart people kind of with this shalom blessing. You remember what it means. We've talked about it before. It's the idea of, of, a, of a complete or, or, or unifying peace, as if 
as if God moves back all of the broken pieces back together in your life so that everything that was once separated or broken or no longer functioning, he puts it all back together and that, that sense of peace, that overwhelming sense that everything is exactly where it should be, when it should be, that, that peace that washes over us in that moment, that's this word. So God's saying, uh, I'm wishing this not for you, because they would have understood it. They would have used it as a greeting. They would have said it to each other. They would have talked about shalom inside the context of a, relate, of a relationship their entire lives. Never, never would they have talked about it, and certainly not three times in a row about somebody else. Shalom was an insider word. In fact, if they're anything like me, every one of my prayers starts with shalom. Oh, Lord, shalom me with the shalom of heaven. I want to be complete. I want to have everything I need. I want you to fix all the things in my life. Every prayer I start is about my shalom. Then I might move on to the shalom of my friends, my family, my church family. But it always starts with my shalom. And God is saying, no, we're going to start with their shalom. This is different. God wants them to pray and to seek the shalom of a bunch of godless individuals that are doing nothing but fighting against the cause of Christ. These are their oppressors, their enemy. These are God-haters. And God's saying, I want this that you have had and held only for yourselves, now for people that don't even know me yet. What? This doesn't sound like the God we know. The God we know loves us. The God we know is always there for us. The God we know never leaves us or forsakes us. Now he wants to be there for others. Well, there was a method to God's madness. God knew this, that as we would pray for others, as we would seek the, the shalom of others, something would happen to our own heart. In prayer, I open my heart to God first. But as I open my heart to God and I begin praying for my neighbor who has never been to church a day in his life, as I begin praying to that, that, that other neighbor behind me who always plays his music too loud, and trust me, it's not praise music. I begin opening my heart to God for him. As I open my heart to what God has said, God begins to do something in my heart. Now here, listen to me. When we are praying for our city, we are not praying that God would overthrow, <laughs> overthrow the city and their government. We're not praying that our city would become more like Jerusalem or more like New Hope Church. We are not praying for some kind of holy war that, that stops all the things of the, of the enemy and, and kicks out all the bad politicians. We are praying for its shalom, that coming togetherness, that completeness that only God can give. And then he's calling us to seek their shalom. This word seek is also very interesting. Let me, let me help you understand. It's, it's not just to look for or to wish for or to hope for one day. This word seek actually is a farmer term. It's to head down the same path every day or many times a day, so often that you have trod down or beaten down the path. Whatever was growing at one time, grass or, or weeds or whatever it was, they're not even there anymore because you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You're seeking something every day, constantly, relentlessly, never stopping, not one and done. Not, I invited him once, but he didn't even really listen. Never again. Ah, pearl but pearl before swine with that guy. I'm never trying that again. I invited him. I even brought him cookies. He never even showed up. Not one and done, but a relentless, a constant, and never seeking, 
a willingness to go the extra mile. This is the word that God chooses right here for this. Some examples. Every year, the car show. Every year, a food packing event. Every year, ministering to senior homes all around us. Every year, family fun day for kids and for families. Every year, job fair. Every year, one more child. Every year, helping a neighbor in need. Every year, visiting the hospital and those who are alone. Every year, giving of ourselves until that pathway is beaten down. God is calling us to pray and God is calling us to seek. Pray, in fact, I'm going to give you a little homework. Uh, to, 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 to love your neighbor as yourself, this is what that homework would look like. If you were to pray, I want you to pray, number one, to pray that God would, would, would allow you to create a prayer list of people that he's brought into your life. Folks, you see more than once a day. Or even if you have to start with people you see at least once a day. Being praying every single day for those people, for open doors, for opportunities, not to invite them to church, not to give them an invite so they come maybe at Easter time. Not to, not to scold them for using a word that you wouldn't use normally in church, but an opportunity to serve them, to love them, to, to, to be a part of their life. And then celebrate as God begins answering those prayers and then seek to continually and repeatedly seek the opportunity to love on your neighbors and get out of your house and, and cross the street and maybe even cross the city to a neighborhood you've never been before to serve this city. God is calling us to love our city to Christ one heart at a time. I believe there's no better way to honor God than to be a part of the mission of God. God's mission is to draw a, a lost world back to himself. God first sent his son Jesus on this mission. Jesus did exactly what he was commanded to do. Before he left, he commissioned you and me, his church, to go and be a part of that very same thing. You and I are on that mission. We honor him when we go and we serve and we love and we pray for and seek the shalom of the city of Cape Coral. Are you with me? Let's pray. Father God, we do pray for that. We pray for our city. Of course, when we say our city, we're really seeing faces, we're seeing neighbors, we're seeing prominent folks that show up on television or in the newspaper, we're seeing folks that drive too slow in the left lane in front of us, we're seeing police officers and first responders, we're seeing city officials that respond quickly or sometimes slowly to our requests. We see contractors. We see immigrants. We see people close to you and people very, very, very far away from you. God, I pray that as we see all of these faces as a church, that when we see these faces, we would see them as you see them. God, grow in us that same love for these folks that don't even know you yet, that you have in your heart for them. Allow us, Father, to begin loving them as you would love them. Let us be your hands. Let us be your feet. Let us be your lips and your mouth to tell them how much they are loved by showing them and demonstrating that love every day. Oh, Father, we thank you for this opportunity. We pray that you would continually call us to be a part of the mission 
you've sent us on. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. You can find more free resources, learn about our church, and partner with us financially when you visit us online at newhopecapecoral.com. Also, if you have a question or a story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us a line on the contact page, once again, at newhopecapecoral.com. Finally, if this message was a blessing to you, would you take a moment to share that blessing with others? You can do that by subscribing on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and by leaving a review to share your story with others. Thanks again for tuning in and for helping us share the hope of Jesus with the world he loves. We'll see you next time.